0: Heavenly Father, we just ask for your word to go forth as you desire it to, for it to fully accomplish all that that you intend, for every life and every heart to be encouraged and to be set free in some way. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever met someone and if there's a dark or black way to see it, that's how they see it, every time? It's kind of a downer, right? They can take one thing and blow it into the most depressing whole scenario that may never even happen, right? How many of you have met people, and they're going through stuff, and yet they always see the good in it, right? Have You met people like that? And they're encouraging, right? Sometimes I have to admit I'm kind of in between. I know once years ago, when the boys were little, money was really tight for a lot of years. And uh, Don hadn't got paid in a few months and wasn't going to get paid in at least another month. And uh, so all we had was my paycheck every two weeks, and it wasn't enough. And I looked at the diaper supply, and it wasn't enough to get through to the next payday. And so uh, I knew we were going to have to do something drastic. And I, I didn't necessarily have a real great attitude about it, but I knew that I had to portray a good attitude to Caleb because he was the one I decided that was going to have to step up. And so I just laid it on on how it was the week for him to become a big boy. And just painted such a good picture that after a while I began to think, wow, that's how we're going to look at this. Instead of, I have no money to buy diapers, are you kidding me? <laughs> to, I counted out enough for him to have one for at night and you know and pray that I could in the 2 days I had off get him well enough that the child care uh, provider would not shoot me when I took him the day I went to work and God just blessed that because sometimes we really need to reset our mindset and that's what we're going to talk about this morning Romans 12:2 says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then then after you renew your mind then you will be able to taste to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will once you renew your mind then you're going to be open to all the possibilities that God has you know God wanted to give his children a different mindset than the world do you realize that remember we've talked a little bit in the past few weeks about the Greek mindset, the barbarian mindset, and the Hebrew mindset. He wanted people, his people, his children, to learn to think like he thinks. Who's the original Hebrew? God. So he let them know that there's only one God, and he's a jealous God. Now in today's society, we've gotten to where everything is open, everything's acceptable. There are many ways to God. We've watered all kinds of God's truths down to be politically correct. But God is the same God. He's still a jealous God. and He still intends for us to worship only him. He taught them of how he created man. He reminded them of creation and of man's history. And he told them of the coming Messiah and all the things that, that he would do. He taught them about holiness and holy days and holy places, which were all designed to help them maintain a vibrant relationship with Him. And He taught them about righteousness and repentance. He showed them the dangers and separation of sin and how they could restore relationship with Him. He introduced them to covenant and a biblical cycle of life. And He gave them practical wisdom and instruction to help them live better and healthier lives, and to be prosperous. There's a book I read years ago called None of These Diseases. It was written by a medical doctor. And he talked about all the different things that seemed like endless rules that the Hebrews lived by in Old Testament times, but all the things that it naturally delivered them from when knowledge didn't even know that yet. They had to handle blood in certain ways. We know today, blood carries all kinds of diseases. They had to wash and do uh, cleansings in different ways, right? Some of the things he put in place reduce stress. Stress, we know, causes all kinds of diseases, heart problems, right? So a lot of these things were, were for their benefit, and yet the, techno- the scientific knowledge was not there yet. By doing all these things, he established a Hebrew mindset in his people. Now this is quoted from a time to advance by Chuck Pierce, and he's quoting, Steven Silberger, in his book, The Jewish Phenomenon. Steven said, Most American Jews arrived here within the last two generations. They were driven out of Europe by persecution and arrived as poor immigrants, often with not much more than the clothes on their backs. Yet within two generations, they have achieved a level of success unknown by any other ethnic group. Silberger, Bilger, list the following statistics that I thought were really interesting. and I've known some of it, but it was really eye-opening. Two percent of the U.S. population is Jewish. That means two out of every hundred people you see are Jewish. Twenty percent, however, of professors of leading universities are Jewish, from two percent of the population. Twenty-five percent of American Nobel Prize winners are Jewish. Isn't that amazing? One third of American multimillionaires are Jewish. 40% of the partners of leading law firms in Washington, D.C. and New York are Jewish. And among families headed by males with four or more years of college, Jews still earn 75% higher incomes than their counterparts. He also said, in any society around the world where they have not been persecuted or limited, Jews tend to rise to positions of wealth and influence in numbers far exceeding their percentage of population. So what does that tell us? There's something different about them, right? I believe that's probably why he decided that was a book that needed to be researched and written. Because why do people write books like that? They want to figure out their secret and pass it on so you too can, can be successful, right? There's something different about the way they think and the way they act. Now, true, they most Jews have missed the, that Jesus is Messiah, but they're still blessed because they think like God. God's principles work even for people who don't believe in him or accept him if you live that way because God's principles work. So here's a little example of how the three different mindsets view God from A Time to Advance by Chuck Pierce. The barbarian mindset looks at God and says, make war and conquer those who are weak. And sometimes people think those who are religious are weak-minded, right? The Greek mindset says, study theology and doctrine to reason out questions with human intellect, argue and get the right answers at all costs. Hebrew mindset. It says we may not understand God, but we will love, worship, and obey him. See the difference? So you want to prosper more? You want to find more peace in your lives? You're going to have to learn to think like a Hebrew. And in some ways, we all do. And in some ways, we're stuck because we've been raised in a Greek mindset. Pretty much all of Europe and America live in a Greek mindset not a bad thing. It's just, as you can see sometimes, it's a limited thing. Now, according to Chuck Pierce, here are two keys to helping develop a Hebrew mindset and they're ones you all know. The first one is meditate on God's word. If you're going to think like God, you've got to know God. You've got to know how he thinks, how he operates, right? Your only way you're going to do that is spending time with him and spending time in his word. Now, to meditate really means to chew on like a cow chews the cud, right? They chew on it, and then they spit it back up. When I was on vacation, and I, we went to the zoo, I realized giraffes do that somewhat too, and we watched them they kind of go up and down that long neck. They bring it back up and chew it again. It means you saturate your mind with God's word, and then you think about it throughout the day. And you ask yourself, how does this apply to my life? Or how can it? change the situation I'm in. Psalm 1, 1 through 1-3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now because he does that, look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Before I finish that, hear about all the trees dying in different parts of the country this year because of the drought? Because they weren't receiving enough water. And water for a tree is equivalent to life. And so if you're planted in God and you're constantly soaking up, then you're going to be full of life. And whatever he does, what? Prospers. When you are saturated with the Word of God and you think about it day and night, then whatever you do prospers. It's not me saying this. This is God saying this. Blessings come from daily aligning ourselves with God. Joshua 1.8. I know you've heard all these scriptures before. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then what? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Why? Because you're thinking like God thinks. Now sometimes that takes a while, right? Sometimes I learn technology things and um, ask John, he'll tell you how slow I am. It takes a while for it to sink in. I don't get it right away. But the more I do it, the more I use it, the more I work with it, the more familiar I get. And then every now and then I get to help somebody who doesn't know how to do that. And I'm so proud of myself because I knew something. Because I learned it. I really learned it. So some of these changes aren't going to happen overnight. But you're going to have to put that daily input in, and then you're going to see that you will become prosperous and successful. Remember, the goal is not just to check off that you read your Bible today, but to expect that God's going to speak to you through the scriptures. There's going to be something that's tangible of relevance to you. Sometimes people look at the Bible and they think it's a 2,000-year-old book. How can it relate to me today? But all of you have had times where the words jump off the page and they seem like they were written just for you So ask so pray before you read ask the Holy Spirit to be with you It's amazing the difference that can make and if you're having a dry spell do you give up? you just press through that dry spell it will you will get through it if you persevere. The second point that he makes is take every thought captive. Take a moment and ask yourself, where did this thought come from and how is it affecting me? I can have thoughts come through my mind and I can be on it and I can grab it and I can dismiss it and I'm done. Or I can nurture it and entertain it and feed it and get myself in a real funk. Anybody else? Yeah. A barbarian mindset might be dominating you if... You feel that you have to dominate or intimidate someone to get ahead. If you view God as a harsh tyrant to be feared or live in uh, legalism to, you might be in a barbarian mindset. Or if you're constantly feeling guilty or condemned, you could be struggling with a barbarian mindset. God doesn't want you to live in that limited way. And all of us have been there at times, haven't we? Could you identify anything? from that barbarian mindset, and you might think, but I don't think like a barbarian. Well, Maybe we do in some areas. But God made a way for our sins to be forgiven. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. And so we need to just confess your sins and accept your forgiveness in Christ. Now, a Greek mindset might go something like this. You think you're smart enough to figure things out for yourself, and most of the time you probably are or that your intellect is strong enough to overcome any obstacle in your path. We've met people like that, right? You might think you have to figure out God and get every point of doctrine right. Now, I try to do that. I read that part and I went, oops. Because I want to be accurate in the Word. But I don't want to be stuck and narrow-minded either, right? Chuck Pierce said he used to be like that, he had studied the word, he had gone to uh, theology school to become a, a minister, and he knew that healing and prophecy and tongues and the Holy Spirit's power were not for today. He knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that. He, knew that. he studied it, he learned it at the seminary, and he operated that way until three days later after the Holy Spirit hit his house, he's speaking in tongues. Well, guess what? He had to reset his mindset right? He had to re-examine the scriptures with a whole new concept. The point is, we're all learning on our walk with God. Can you trust God to show you where you might need to change? And change is hard. Are you willing to follow him even if you don't fully understand what he's doing? That's very frightening. How many people do we have in here that like to be in Following God is all about submitting (laughs) that control. Sometimes it's easier than others, isn't it? The Hebrew mindset helps you understand that God has chosen you and watches over you. And if you really got that God chose you and watches over you and loves you and wants to bless you, then how would that change your day or your month or your year? or your decade. See, we understand that some of the time, but we don't always understand it, do we? We don't always stay in that Hebrew mindset. Psalm 1-6 says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord is scanning the earth all the time to watch over his children, to see who's obeying him, I don't know how he does it. Sometimes I get too many phone calls in a day and my head hurts at the end of the day. And yet he has time for all of us, all the time, every day, 24 hours a day, every year. He can handle all of that. And he loves it when you come to him. Genesis 24-1, I love this part. It says, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years and the Lord had blessed him in every day. what is blessed in every way say to you? He's blessed in every area of his life, right? There isn't one way he'd turn and go, it's all good except for that. Blessed in every way. Whatever degree he's at, whichever way he turns, he's blessed, right? That's pretty powerful. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We know he came and gave his life so that we could spend eternity with the Lord. But he also came so that we, in order that, it says, the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. It was already promised to Abraham's seed, wasn't it? So they already got it. But he was expanding that promise to include the Gentiles. That means he wants everyone, whether you're of Abraham's seed or whether you're of a Gentile seed, he wants everyone blessed like Abraham. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Look at Deuteronomy 7.1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations, larger and stronger What if we substituted when the Lord helps you enter the land he promised you to possess, he cast out poverty, sickness, disease, depression, family squabbles, poor marriages, argumentative children. Sometimes our problems are very large, and they seem bigger and stronger than us, right? when the Israelites were going to, over, to overcome this land, they looked at these nations that were larger and stronger, and yet God prevailed. And this tiny population of favored, chosen people won. Because why? They're smarter than the average bear? No, because they have God on their side. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, The Lord did not set his affection on you, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him And keep his commands. Ah, a condition at the end of that promise. Uh Uh-oh. He's willing to keep his covenant of love for who? Those who love him and keep his commands. There's a condition. Right? But the good news is if you're meeting the condition, then you're heir to the promise. Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks and the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. You will be blessed more than any other less, more than all your neighbors, than all your coworkers that don't know him, more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor any of your livestock without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. That's money in the bank, people, right? Plus just the fun of not being sick. Anybody like to be sick? It's a drag, and it really comes at always an inconvenient time, doesn't it? blessed from every free from every disease he will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt and he will inflict them but he will inflict them on all who hate you Deuteronomy 28, 2 through 13 all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God the condition once again you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country the fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flock. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord, does that sound like blessed on every side? Yeah. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. Now note being blessed of God does not mean you never have to fight a battle or that you're never under attack. It means that you will come out on top. Do you see the difference? Now, if you're like me, you'd wish you never were under, in a battle or under attack, but that's not the reality of life. That's not what God promised. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. Wow. That's amazing. That means you better be putting your hand to something, right? The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. How are all the peoples of the earth going to see that you are called by the name of the Lord. How? And they're going to see that you're blessed. They're going to look at you and go, what is up with them? Why did Silberger write his book on the Jews? What is up with them? 2% of the population and they're in the 20 and 25 percentile and 33 percentile. Some pretty major impressive groups. What's different about them? Don't you want your coworkers and your neighbors scratching their head? What's different about these people? Because if they see that, not only will they fear you, they're going to want to come talk to you. What do you know that I don't know? And are you willing to share? Right? And you'll be able to. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but borrow from none. Debt free. That's debt free. Hallelujah. The Lord will make you the head, not the If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. That's pretty powerful. I want us to look at the story of Joseph. We're not going to look at all of it. If you want to study it out, read somewhere between, most of it is in Genesis 37 to 47, those chapters. But Joseph was a favored son of Jacob, also renamed Israel. And because of that, his brothers hated him. Then compound that, he had a couple of dreams, and he told his brothers about it, and they were not very happy. And so they decided they were going to kill him. But at the last minute, a caravan came by, and they decided they might as well make some money off of him. And so they sold him into slavery. Not one of the best starts in life. He was probably 17, 18, about that time. And so he ends up being carried off to Egypt, and he is sold on the auction block to Potiphar, who is an Egyptian, and he's a pretty high up Egyptian. And so we're going to look at Genesis 39, verses 2 through 5. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. But the verses right before that said he was just sold into slavery. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Those two statements don't seem like they go hand in hand, do they? And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, how did he see that? He's seeing the blessings somehow um, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did because everything he put his hand to Prosper. prospered. Um, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. An Egyptian, pagan, heathen, non-believer is blessed because Joseph lives in his household. And he was smart enough to identify that the hand in favor of God, maybe a God he didn't know, a God he didn't understand, was upon him. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Pretty smart move. Right? Now Joseph's getting blessed, but so are those around him. And when you are blessed, you can be a blessing to those around you, and it will overflow. The Lord... Was with Joseph and prospered him and blessed him even in the midst of slavery. Not your ideal situation, right? And he blessed his master. God blessed him in the workplace to such an extreme measure that his boss had no way not to notice it. Wouldn't you like your boss to come up to you and go, What are you doing? every other worker I've got out there, right? Because he's wanting to maybe put a little of that in the company. But when Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph and tried to get him to sleep with her, he refused and he said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knows that's sin. And he is of a Hebrew mindset enough to know that what? Sin is going to separate him from God and when he's separated from God, he is not going to be blessed. Right? So he's like, no way. A good thing. He stood his ground. He should be rewarded, right? Well, Potiphar's wife lies to her husband, and Potiphar throws him into prison. This isn't a prison with TV and an outside exercise yard. It's a dungeon. Wow doesn't seem like a very good thing, does it? But Joseph must have still been able to keep a Hebrew mindset because Genesis 39, 20-23 says this. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. What did he do in Potiphar's house? He rose to the top. What has he just done in prison? He rose to the top. Both are not ideal situations, but he has risen to the top in both of them. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. In prison, he's still putting his hand to something and God's still blessing him. If the warden sees that you have made the prison run better, is your life going to be easier as a prisoner? You're going to have more freedom than any other prisoner in that jail, in that dungeon? You bet. Is it ideal? No. Has he still risen to the top? Yes. He continues to walk in, in God's favor. And I believe somehow he learned to keep thinking like a Hebrew and trust that God was watching out for him, that this wouldn't always be. So Joseph interprete- interprets some dreams for some fellow prisoners and asks to be remembered to Pharaoh, but instead he's forgotten. For two years he's forgotten until Pharaoh has a couple dreams of his own that nobody can interpret, and the cupbearer remembers there's this guy in the dungeon that interprets dreams, and so that morning when he wakes up, he's summoned to go to the palace, so he has to get cleaned up, be presentable before Pharaoh, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then he tells Pharaoh, you know, here's what the dreams mean. There's seven good years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And if you're smart, Pharaoh, you're going to look for a really wise man and he's going to set some food aside so that those seven lean years will not devastate the nation. This is what Pharaoh says in Genesis 41, 38 through 40. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? What does he recognize in Joseph right off the bat? The Spirit of God. Is he a believer? doesn't say that he is. He's probably not. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. How does he know God? Because Joseph told him, I can't do it, but God can do it, and I'll ask God, and he'll tell me the interpretation. So now, just by Joseph's word alone, he's like, You serve a pretty good God. Right? You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders, only with respect to the throne. Will I be greater than you? So what has he just done after being in the palace? Minutes. He's risen to the top. Genesis 41, says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Second in command. Really in charge of it all. Now, he's still in a foreign land, but he has suddenly become very powerful, very wealthy. And one day, God lifted Joseph out of prison and put him in charge of the very nation in which he had been imprisoned. You ever hear of anybody else ever having that happen to them? That's unheard of. He's not even Egyptian and only Pharaoh is above him. Joseph continued to think like a Hebrew and to trust God in the midst of very difficult and disturbing circumstances. Very discouraging. Most of us would be very discouraged, be sold into slavery, thrown into prison for something we didn't even do. I'm sure there were times that he had to take every thought captive to keep from speaking death over his situation or to to stay encouraged those were the times that God could remind him of the scripture that he already knew of his blessings for those who love him and stay faithful to him because see that's something in the Hebrew nation in the Jewish nation they taught their children from a very early age how to learn Hebrew so that they could start studying at age 6 the Torah so that by age 13 when they had their ceremonies they would know huge passages of Scripture by 13. And when the time had finally come, the path was huge, wasn't it? And you know the rest of the story. He's able to give food to his brothers and be reunited with them. He walks in forgiveness. The whole family moves to Egypt. Instead of all starving and dying out, they become prosperous. Until at some later date, they become feared, and, and then the current pharaoh at that time enslaved them for 400 years because they fell away from worshiping the one true God. Let's look at another of God's heroes, Gideon, Judges 6, 7 through 10. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, Midian was a nation that was oppressing them. He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their, ha- their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. He's a jealous God, right? So the Midianites terrorized the land and they destroyed crops and animals and they left nothing for the Israelites to eat. The Israelites were so oppressed they left their homes and were living in caves in the mountains trying to survive. And this is the condition in which the angel finds Gideon in Judges 6, 11-12 and verse 15. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. He's hiding. He's found a little bit of wheat He's threshing it so they can have a little few mouthfuls to eat. But he's hiding because he knows if, he, if he's seen and he's afraid, right? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon must have been looking around his shoulder. Who are you talking to? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel when the angel revealed his plan? My plan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. I'm the least of the least of the least. Why are you knocking on my door?" And did you notice I was hiding in fear? So Gideon had forgotten how to think like a Hebrew. At some point, he stopped taking captive every thought. And now he only saw himself as the least of the least. He didn't feel like a mighty warrior. He didn't want to be a mighty warrior. It took some convincing, several conversations with God and some encouragement. But then he began to think again, to reset his mindset to trust God to do the impossible. And he became one of Israel's national heroes. Last, I want to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, which is basically a glorified waiter, except that he would taste everything before the king to make sure that if anything was poisoned, he was going to die instead of the king. He'd been living out his life in captivity and servitude and yet somehow he kept some of his Hebrew mindset. Listen to his prayer to God in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. There's some people that have begun to return to Jerusalem after captivity but it's a small amount. There's been two different exiles. Nehemiah's about to leave the third. Um, And also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile on our back in province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He's never seen Jerusalem. But he's moved to tears. Um, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Some of his Jewish traditions have survived down the family lines, haven't they? Uh, then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction uh, you gave your servant Moses, saying if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. That's why they ended up in captivity in the first place. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your, ex- if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there, and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer go before the king with a sad face could be a death sentence. To to ask him anything and take it on your own accord to approach him could be a death sentence. This cup bearer became a quartermaster supply sergeant, a national inspirational speaker, a builder and city planner, a military strategist and commander, a deception buster, a governor, a godly example, and a light. He did all those things because he thought like a Hebrew. He he did four things that are key. He recognized and remembered who God was. He counted on God's love and covenant relationship with those who love Him and obey Him. Third, he repented and asked for forgiveness and prayed for direction and favor. And fourth, he stepped out in faith. he did those other three first. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you, and not to harm you; plans to give you a hope and a future." Some of you may feel like, you know what? That's all fine and good, but I'm in that place right now where I'm in slavery, where I'm in prison. I'm not in that wonderful aspect of everything going wonderful. Joseph wasn't always either. Nehemiah didn't start out that way. Gideon started out in complete oppression. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God wants to bless you because he loves you. You want to bless your children because you love them. God's a better parent than you are even. Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What are you going to ask God for that's more costly than? He gave you his very best gift. Does it even make sense that he withhold what else you need? Blessings come to those who align themselves with God and choose to follow Him. Let me say that again: blessings will come to those who choose to align themselves with God and follow Him. Maybe not today. Maybe not next week. Maybe not this month. But they will come. Because God made a covenant, a blood covenant, and he included the Gentiles in that. To redeem you, to provide eternity with him for you, and to bless you because he loves you. The only difference is do you believe it? Do you act upon it? Do you stand on it? See yourself as God sees you a loved and favored child and align yourself with him and somehow be determined to meditate on his word and to take captive every thought so that you can reset your mindset where it needs to be reset. I'm not saying we all have a wrong mindset. I'm saying we probably all have some areas that we need to reset so that we think more like a Hebrew. We walk more like a Hebrew. Because what is that really? It's thinking and walking like God, in the fullness of what he intended for you to have. Hallelujah. 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 All right. <laughs> so reset your mindset. And I've to think like a of of music team.